So I'm going to read Matthew 5, 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So we've been in this place where we've gone to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is preaching his first message. And what he does is he starts us off and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because it all starts with us realizing that we're spiritually bankrupt. That we need God, that we are helpless without him. Then once we get that new spirit, once we get that relationship with God, we begin to mourn over things we didn't usually mourn over. Because God the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and all of a sudden we're mourning over sin, right? And we're saying, why am I feeling convicted about this behavior that I never felt convicted about before? Why am I mourning over sin? Why am I mourning over social sin? Why am I mourning over those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake? And the natural progression continues because all of a sudden we realize that we're not the center of the universe, that God is. We realize that our lives aren't meant to bring us glory. They're meant to bring God glory. And we become much meeker men and women. And as that progression continues, we begin to get different, a different spiritual appetite. And we begin to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. All of a sudden, we want to be right before God. We want the foundation of the imputed righteousness of Christ to become the trampoline that compels us to live right before God, to live holy, to pursue God and his righteousness. And now, with all that stuff going on in our lives, God begins to make us merciful people. He calls us to show mercy and be merciful, not judges. Now, I want to ask you this question. Would you categorize yourself as a merciful person? Or would you characterize yourself as a judge? And if you characterize yourself as a merciful person, I want to ask you, what makes you merciful? And I want to ask you, are you not a merciful person? And if you're not a merciful person, I want to ask you why. What makes you show so little mercy to your fellow human beings and your fellow image bearers of God? Now, if you just said, I am a merciful person, and your motive was the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you said, I am merciful because God has shown me great mercy, I want to say, your heart, your mind, your life is in the right place. That's, a, that's the motive right there. That's the motive we want. Because he has been rich in mercy to us, therefore I extend mercy to others, and I have hope in the future mercy of God. See, what happens sometimes is we don't rightly divide or rightly define grace and mercy. We clump them together. We clump grace and mercy together as if they're the same thing and they're not the same thing. They're both aspects of God's love and aspect of our makeup as image bearers of God. But grace and mercy are different things. And when we understand those things, we can more rightly apply them to others and to ourselves in our own lives. So I want to read you a quote from D.A. Carson. It says, grace is a loving response when love is undeserved. And mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one whom the love is to be showered. So it goes like this. Grace answers to the undeserving. Mercy answers to the miserable. So when we're being gracious, we're given love that's undeserved. That's grace. 
That's why we say the gospel of grace, because none of us deserve salvation. So the fact that God has given us salvation through his son Jesus, that's grace, that's undeserved. It's not because we were righteous, it's because Jesus was righteous. Mercy is for the miserable, it's for the helpless, it's for the oppressed, it's for the poor, it's for the sick. It's answering to the miserable. That's what mercy is, and that's what we're talking about today. When I was younger, my mother and my stepfather ran a homeless ministry in Boston. And so every Saturday, <coughs> we'd get up. We had this old Volkswagen campers, and I hate Volkswagen campers. I hope no one loves them in here. I'm not judging. I'm showing grace and mercy, but I'm not a big Volkswagen camper lover. I just felt like when we went on camping trips, my parents thought it was a lot bigger than it was. And when they pumped that little tent with the bed, like it was, it was all souped up. And I like, this is no bed for me to sleep in. You know, I just like, I'm just being honest here. I'm not condemning anyone who likes Volkswagens. We get that thing all done up. We cook up the soup. We'd make P&Js. We'd bring clothing and we were armed with tracks. Cause you would know in the eighties, if you were a Christian, you had a track. So we went down there and we'd stop right on <coughs> the Boston Common. And people began to know us, and all those who were homeless, all those who were miserable, all those who were hungry, all those who needed shelter would come up to the Volkswagen and would feed them and would clothe them and would give them tracts and would tell them about Jesus. I had homeless people living with me constantly. This one homeless guy would walk me to school. Really, he was from uh, Ecuador, I think. I walked to school with a homeless brother. I was surrounded by people who are helpless. And when you're young, you begin to get shaped by that. Like we'd go out and we'd see people living in conditions that image bearers of God should never have to live in. You guys know how cold it gets on a New England winter, in a New England winter. I remember going by houses and they always strategically placed these little shelters so the wind wouldn't hit right next to the buildings, try to shelter themselves from the wind so it wouldn't be more cold. And there were actually men and women who would use cardboard boxes to make shelters for themselves. And when you're like seven, eight, or nine and you see this, that begins to break you and that begins to shape you. And when your closest friends are homeless people and you spend the holidays with them, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, you begin to realize that people need to be cared for. And when you're a Christian, you realize even more that we are called to care for the weak and the oppressed. In the poor. Now there was one woman who even seemed more helpless and miserable than the rest. Her name was Frances. And Frances looked like one of the most helpless human beings you ever saw in your life. She might have had one tooth. Everything was mismatched and you, you could tell that she hadn't taken a shower in weeks and weeks, maybe months. She smelled like urine. You could barely understand what she was talking about from the years of drug and alcohol addiction or even abuse. And I remember as a young man that this woman, I'm just being honest, she repulsed me. Like I said, she's too miserable for my help. Like I need a little distance. Like you can be semi-miserable. You can need a little help. When you start smelling like urine, I begin to get repulsed as a little boy. And that's not right. No one's too miserable. No one's too helpless. 
for us to show mercy to. You guys hear me? Because the way I looked at Francis is the way God sees us. One tooth, spiritually smelling like urine. We haven't changed in weeks. Our clothes are mismatched. We were spiritually miserable, just like Francis. And if we had a God that was repulsed by us, we wouldn't have had a son who came to die for us and a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And it's because that God has shown us great mercy when we were miserable and helpless that we can now show mercies to others. Amen? I want it to be rooted there because many times we think that mercy starts in us and it doesn't. It starts with the author of mercy and that is God. So let's start here. Let's contemplate and meditate and think about how God has shown us great mercy because we can hear this verse in a legalistic way. We can hear, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And we can think in a legalistic, works-based, performance kind of way, like I have to show enough mercy to receive mercy, right? So I need to do 10 charity walks. I need to make 100 peanut butter and jellies and go down Wakefield, right? Or I need to, you know, keep doing merciful and charitable acts or God will not show me future mercy. That is if the mercy started with you. But it doesn't start with you. And that's the beauty of it. We have to look at this text in the context it's being preached. Who's preaching the message? God incarnate. God, fully God, fully man. The word become flesh. God is already showing great mercy because the God man is standing in front of them and preaching that message to them. They did not initiate mercy. Jesus initiated mercy. You got the word became flesh, the eternal one, the one who has always existed. The author of love is standing in front of you, was born into this world, preaching a message of mercy. That's where it starts. And the gospel is not that we were not miserable and God died for us. The gospel is not that we were a little bad and God died for us. The gospel is we were absolutely, ultimately miserable. We were absolutely, ultimately sinful. We were disgusting, and God died for us. That's why we can show mercy to others. Because we have a tendency in our heart and in our culture. You see T-shirts like no mercy, right? People in our culture, if there's men, sometimes the men are looked at as strong if they're not merciful, if they don't empathize, if they don't care for others. I want to be stone cold. Not stone cold like Dennis. I'm going to be stone cold. I'm going to shut off anyone that bothers me. People don't deserve mercy. They got themselves, like we hear statements like this, right? They made their bed, now let them lie in it. Once again, let me encourage you, that's not in Proverbs. That might be in a mafia movie you saw. But it's not in Proverbs, right? You fooled me once. You fooled me twice. Third shame. Like, this is not Proverbs. Mercy extends beyond that. I was in the shower a few weeks ago. I shower regularly. And my heart, my heart was feeling hard towards somebody. I had got sick of this person, if I'm being honest with you. I felt like I extended this person enough mercy. I felt like I was done with them hurting me. I was done with them not being responsible. I was done with all of it. So the first half of the shower, 
I had made up my mind that I was going to harden my heart towards this person. Has anyone ever gone through that? doesn't have to be in the shower, maybe the backyard. Has anyone gone through that struggle where you say, this person is shut off from my mercy? And I'm not kidding. The first half of the shower, I had made a stone-cold decision. There was no smiling going on. I was straight-faced. I said, it is finished. But then God, the Holy Spirit, began to convict my heart. And in the latter half of the shower, I repented and I prayed for that person. Because I said, how can I not show this person mercy when God has shown me so much mercy? As I began to think about how this person had hurt me and been irresponsible, I said, how many times have I hurt God and been irresponsible in my behavior? See, that's what it comes down to. You start to think about it, and when you go through the list of what this person has done to you, and you go through the list of what you have done to God, your list outweighs what you have done to God and what that person has done for you, done to you. And that, that's where mercy comes in, and that's why we should extend mercy to others. Because mercy does not start with us. It starts with God. I like to call this the mercy sandwich. It's a big theological term I like to use. It has to do with God's first mercy that he showed us by sending his son, by dying for us. Is that anyone's car who is beeping outside? If it is, please, I will forgive you if you get up and shut it off. (laughs) It is God's first mercy shown to us. And God's future mercy, for they shall receive mercy. That's two slices of bread. I'm getting deep here. Stay with me. The meat in the middle of that bread is the mercy we extend to others. So for some of you who have violated the rules of sandwich making, that might not make sense to you. If you take a piece of turkey up and you roll it up as if it's a sandwich, I rebuke you here today. That is not a sandwich. And if you think just because you throw a piece of American cheese in the middle and roll it up that it's more of a sandwich, you need counseling. You need bread for a good sandwich. All right? It's not a good sandwich unless you have two slices of bread on either side. It is the same when we try to act like we're the author of mercy and just try to extend our mercy to others as if we start in mercy, the sandwich is ruined. You like my sandwich analogy? Not that great. I could do better. But when we try to take the first mercy and the future mercy away from our extended mercy, it becomes a stench in the nostrils of God. Because we are making a statement to God and saying we are the authors of mercy. We are more compassionate than God. We care more. We love more. We lay our lives down more than God. We begin to make ourselves God as if we're the author of mercy, and it starts with us. Do you guys understand that? Because many people in this culture say, I'm a very loving person, and it's rooting in myself. I'm a very loving person, and that doesn't come from God. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can give your body to be burned, and you can give everything you have to the poor. But if you have not love that's rooted in God's love, you are like a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal in the ears of God. When we think mercy starts with us and the way we extend to others, and we think it starts in us, it is disgusting in the eyes of God. And it's just a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's noise in the ears of a holy God. But when we can come to the truth that God has shown us great mercy and we are extended to others, then our acts of mercy will bring glory to God and not to ourselves. You know why some of us love acts of mercy? Because it brings glory to us. 
You feed people? You do that charitable walk? You get in great shape for that 5K? You love people. We love to be praised. It makes us look good. He's such a good guy. He writes checks. But if your acts of mercy are not rooted in God, you're bringing glory to yourself, which is empty in eternity. But if your acts of mercy are rooted in Christ, it will resound in eternity for the glory of God, and you shall receive future mercy. And this should cause us to be merciful to the everyday people we see in our life. How many people are annoyed by that guy who catches you on the corner with that cup, and you think he has a full-time job, and he's still up there with a the cup? Who is this dude up at the North Shore Mall that's probably making $800 a week doing that, working right where you go into the cinema? Right? I'm convinced this guy works overtime and he still comes down there with the cup. Every day we are confronting with people to show mercy to. And it's not our job to say, oh, well, where is he going to spend the money? Right? Isn't that the one? I ain't giving him money. He's going to buy drugs. Right? I know what he's going to do with that money. We are not the judges of what people do with the money. What God has called us to do is be ambassadors of mercy to people who are in need. And guess what? 99.9% .9 of people who are miserable and need have made bad decisions in their life and will make bad decisions. When you're about to drop some money in a cup of guys who's sitting on the side of Dunkin' Donuts and has no home, there's been some bad decisions made in his life. He's not thought a few things through. And if you think all of a sudden because you give him a dollar, he's going to get up and go invest in a 401k, you've lost your mind. People are miserable because they made bad decisions and need someone there to show them the love of God. And it's only God that can change people. Your dollar's not going to change them, but that extended act of mercy towards them can start making them think about God and start loosening up hard places in the heart and maybe they find Jesus. That's what can happen. I was down in Miami and I will never take a trip to Miami unless there's a conference down there. My wife couldn't walk the street. She needed a chaperone. Me there were so many shady characters down there. I'd be walking down, they'd be pulling her over to the side, man. I was on eternal alert in Miami. Like I watched a thing called Cocaine Cowboys on Netflix, a documentary. The, place that I the places I watched on that documentary, that's where I was. That's where I was. Let's get that out of the way. I stepped outside. I don't want to keep going off on Miami, but it's more humid than any place I've been on earth. I was instantly sweating. Thank Thank goodness a dolphin jumped out of the water, made me feel a little better. But we were down in Miami, and me and Natalie were like, let's get to our room immediately. Let's go find refuge in Haven. But we decided to go out at night with a couple of our friends. And at first, the culture was like there was like families out there. It was a little better, still a little shady, but it was a little better. 10.30 at night came, and the freaks come out at night. Let me tell you that much. It hit 10.30. There was a fight that was about to break out 25 feet from us. There was all kind of shady characters came out. And I, I don't want to keep going, but there was shady, shady, shady characters. So we're sitting there 10.30 at night, and a lady walks up to me, and she says, can you give me $2? Let me tell you something. I come from, there are people in my family who have struggled with addictions, starting with my father, Right? And there's people who struggle with certain, whether it's cocaine or whether it's crack, I know what that looks like when someone being around family who struggles with those things. I know what it looks like when people struggle with those things. I know the look on their face. face. I know the kind of vehicle they drive. They're usually on a bike. 
I know like, you know, I know how that goes, you know. I, I've, I've experienced that pain. I've been molded by those things. So I knew this lady was a drug addict. I knew it. But I was confronted with a situation where I was going to say, do I give her money or do I say, no, you're not going to spend it right. And the whole table was watching, but I, I wasn't caring about the table, if I'm honest with you. And I reached in my wallet, and I had $8. And I was tempted just to take two. <laughs> Say she asked for two, she gets two. But I gave her the $8. And just for that moment, that woman realized that someone wasn't judging her, that someone wasn't saying, I know what you're going to spend it on. There was an act of mercy there that maybe she doesn't know that was rooting God's mercy towards me. Because I tell you, if God didn't get my hold of my heart, I ain't giving you a dime. You ain't getting a dime from me. But for that moment, she understood me as a fellow image bearer of God. I wasn't a judge. I was an ambassador of mercy. And she was getting money from me. And she said, thank you so much. And the look on her face, you couldn't imagine the look on her face when I showed her mercy and gave her money. Now, I don't know what she did of it. Some of you said, man, I know she went and got drugs. I know where she went and got alcohol. Maybe she went and bought a sandwich. Maybe she finally called one of her family members and said, I want to change. I need to get in somewhere to change. You know, I don't know, but I know I'm not called to know because I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omnipresent, and I don't have to follow her, but I do have to show mercy at that moment. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching? Because he has been merciful. We were so mercy, and we must hope in future grace. So let's get back to the mercy sandwich. We had first mercy. We had our extended mercy. Now we got future mercy. Let me tell you about this future mercy we hope on, hope in. As Christians, you have to resist the temptation to only think about life right now. Meaning, there is an eternity that we will be rewarded for when we are merciful and when we do good works for God. Right? This life is very quick. I don't know about you, but my daughter turned 10, and I was like, what just happened? Double digits scared me. I've been married 11 years. What just happened to me? I mean, it's good. God's been good to me. But I realized that time passes by quick. And I can't just root all my plans and all my actions in this current life because before you know it, God will call me home and I'll be taking my last breath. And salvation is free, but we are rewarded for the good deeds we do when it comes to act of mercy for others. When I look forward and I think about the future mercy in the kingdom of God, I think about a place where no woman who is addicted to anything will be coming up and asking me for money. Not because I don't want her to give it to, give it to her, but because I don't want anyone to have to be in such a helpless place where they need to come and ask for money. How about a place where there's no more sex trafficking? And we don't have to fight things like sex trafficking. Is this really happening in our world? How about a future mercy where God wipes all that out? How about a place where there's no man on the side of the road with a cup because he needs money? Because God has supplied all these needs and everyone has shelter. How about no more hospitals because there's no more sick and no more disease and no more kids dying of cancer? How about that future mercy that we have to look forward to? That's the future mercy God's talking about in his kingdom. A place where there's no more hungry because we're all filled with God. A place where there's no more division, no more pain 
That's a future mercy that we will receive. This is a future tense. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive future mercy in the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes I'll sit back. I don't know if you guys do this. If you don't, I encourage you to. And I'll just think about the evidence of God's grace in my life. And I'll just be sitting in my, my home, and I'll see my beautiful wife and my beautiful children, the fact that I, God's given me a job, and he's given me people who love me. And I'll say, wow, God, you've been so merciful to me. If you knew me in my life, there were directions I could have taken where I wouldn't have experienced the mercy of God. But God tracked me down and showed me mercy that was undeserved. Like a lot of people who came out of my situations, they're not in places where they sit back and say, look at God's grace in my life because they've rebelled against God and they chose their own way and they're hard in their hearts from years of suffering. But I think that's good. That future mercy of God can compare nothing to that moment when we say how much God has shown us mercy. Amen? You guys got to live in that truth. God's going to blow our minds in this future mercy. Now, with that said, let's talk about some application here. So we got his mercy towards us. We got extended mercy. We got future mercy. You're never going to forget the mercy sandwich. Now, we are called individually and corporately to show mercy in our everyday lives. Now, how do you do that? Let me ask you, do you intentionally wake up and do you look for situations where you can be merciful to someone? Or are you just waiting for someone to hit your button? Are you one of those people? If someone says anything, they're going down. Oh, you don't want to say that to me this day. Are you in t- I don't know where all this comes from. I watch a little too much stand-up, so sometimes people get thrown into me. So, I don't even know where I am right now. Are you intentionally merciful? Like you wake up and say, I've got to show mercy to someone today. We are called to be ambassadors of mercy. So my wife exemplified this great the other day. We went out to Panera Bread on a double date with uh, Lydia and Alex. And um, there was this woman who was, she was an elderly woman. She was having trouble walking and she was, bringing her plate to her seat. She just picked it up. You know, when the buzzer goes off, you get your sandwich, you're walking back. And my wife said, do you need help? She got up and she ran to you. Do you need help? And the woman said, yes. You know, most, some people say no. She said, yes. And my wife helped her and she's like, thank you so much. Then she finished her meal and she said, could you help me get it away? And Natalie said, absolutely. Now, what most people don't know is we paid her to do that before Alex and Lydia went on a double date with us so we looked like a good pastor and pastor's wife. No, but really, Natalie's heart was intentionally looking for someone who needed help, and she had eyes for that. And let me guarantee you something. That moved that woman's heart, and that blessed that woman's heart. So individually, look for people that need help. Do the elderly need help bringing stuff to their table? Does that person need some money? Do they need a ride? Do they need an encouraging word? Do they need you to buy them a What do they need for you to do that can change someone's life? Because mercy changes people's life. How does God define true religion in the Bible? Those who care for widows and orphans. Bob was ready to shoot off just like it was Monday night. He says true religion is caring for widows and orphans. You cannot be changed by the gospel and not care for those who are oppressed and poor and needy in this world. As I read through the Psalms, 
I'm amazed at God's heart as he constantly says, I have a heart for the fatherless. I have a heart for the poor. I have a heart for the oppressed. May we pray that that same heart is within us and we become ambassadors of that mercy. Amen? Because when we show that kind of mercy, people see God's heart and it's shaped in us and it changes us as much as it changes them. Corporately, it's always been my hope and part of our vision that we will be a church that extends and shows great mercy in practical ways. And we've done that for our little baby church just starting. And so I want to tell you guys some ways that we do that corporately so maybe you can get involved in it. We serve at the Bread of Life. Some of you help out regularly with that four times a year. We cook a meal for over 100 people in Malden, and we serve it who don't have enough money to buy food that night. And I'm telling you, there's homeless people there. There's families with not enough money. There's babies there. And we feed them four times a year, and we'd love for you to be involved. George heads that up. We'll keep you communicated on the city and other things. We'd love for you to be there. And even if you don't serve food, you know what people need sometimes the most? They need someone to sit down and talk to them and treat them like a human being. Because you know when someone feels separated, marginalized in society, they begin to feel like they're more of an animal than they are an image bearer of God. And you know what teaches them and shows them, expresses to them that they're not when we show them mercy, when we talk to them, when we love them, when we don't judge them. That's what we're called to be. So maybe just show up and sit at the table and talk to people and let them know you're there to listen to them. Bread of life, we do that. Bob Cunningham and Jim Doherty will be leading a project in Wakefield. They'll be meeting with the town administrator and look for a need in the town where we can help serve as a church. It's just a start, but we want to start and manage and doing those things well and take it from there. So be on the lookout for serving in town in some way. We'd love for you to be in part of that, a part of a mercy project that will be coming up. And also, when you give financially, it's built into our budget to give to the needy. All right? We support all bread of life, all the food. We've given to hungry children. We've given to sick children. We've given to our mercy budget has a certain percentage that we give out to people if they can't afford food or anything like that. We make sure that as a church, you can look at our checkbook and we're writing checks to those who are in need. So every time you give, that's going towards a percentage that is going towards that. And that's very important for you to know that we're not all about ourselves. Because when we become all about ourselves, we will die. But we do mercy. Those are some practical ways you can do it. Secondly, pray for the afflicted. Is part of your prayer life include the needy and the poor and the hungry and the homeless? Make that part of your intercession because that moves the heart of God. Two, my daughters were sleeping over their grandparents' house probably a few months ago. And one of them was misbehaving, so we got the call. This one's not listening. I said, all right, tell her to listen. I think we got another call. This one still ain't listening. I got daddy mode on. Got to discipline my children because I love them. I said, she's coming home. The first ever pickup from a sleepover at grandmama's. I said, Natalie, get ready. We're going for the pickup. It was hard. It was hard. My other daughter got on the phone and cried for mercy like I've never heard mercy. To the point where I had to back off the phone and say, Natalie, she's about to move me. I've got to, I've got to punish her. She was really, I, she might have said mercy. I don't know, but she's like, oh, please, crying. I was like, I was so moved that I almost, 
I'm speaking truth, right? I was so moved. Natalie wanted to give in. She wanted to. And I said, no, she's got to learn a lesson. I've got to go pick her up right now. I've got good news for you. God's more merciful than me. God's more merciful than me. And I know I had to do that as a dad. But how much my heart was moved for the cry of mercy for my daughters, how much more is God, who is the author of mercy, moved by our prayers for those who are oppressed and those who are poor? And how much does our prayer move us into action? When we're praying for those things, you begin to have an eye for those things. You begin to care for people who are in need, and you begin to give. You begin to be compelled by mercy. And finally, if you are someone, I don't know what place everyone is in. I don't know who doesn't have money. I don't know who is hungry. I don't know who is suffering. I don't know who is sick. I know many of you, your situations. But some of you might be in a tough place where most of all you need to know the mercy of God. And you need to know that God sent his son to die for you. And that you might feel spiritually helpless and spiritually miserable and spiritually worthless. But that is not true. God loves you. And he's more merciful than you could ever imagine. And he offers salvation today. All we must do is put faith in him. Receive his grace. Repent. And you can sign up for August 24th. I'll dunk you real quick. But know that God's mercy is there. And know as a church, if anyone's struggling, we're here for you. Amen.